Chapters twenty seven and twenty eight of the third volume by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty seven. A glimpse of the past. Hilliston remained a considerable time with his friend, and it was not until sunset that he left the house. He had a satisfied look on his face, as though the interview had answered his expectations and so lifted up in spirit did he appear that he stepped out into the lane as jauntily as though he were quite a young man it was over three miles to the railway station and he would be obliged to walk back but the prospect did not annoy him in the least on the contrary so great a load had been removed from his mind by the late conversation that he felt fit to walk twice the distance yet such unusual light-heartedness might have recalled to his mind the scotch superstition regarding its probable reason as he walked smartly to the end of the lane the sun had just dropped behind the hills leaving a trail of red glory behind him against the crimson background rose the gables and chimney of the manor-house and the sight recalled to hilliston the fact that young larcher was staying in the mansion he paused doubtfully not certain whether to go in or pass on for in his many schemes the least slip might prove prejudicial to their accomplishment if i call in i can say my visit here was to do so he thought but it was too late and though claude might believe me the little man would certainly be suspicious besides they are sure to find out from jenny Payton that i have seen her father no i shan't go in but to-night i will write a letter stating that Payton is a client whom i called to see about business i have made it all right there and it will take a cleverer man than tate to upset my plans this time his meditations were interrupted by the rattle of wheels and he turned to see carrie driving a dappled pony in a small chaise the old man distorted his withered face into a grotesque grin of welcome and jumped out with extraordinary alacrity when he came alongside hilliston ah ah sir said carrie touching his hat in military fashion it's a sight for sore eyes to see ye miss jenny told me you had walked from the station so i just borrowed the trap of his reverence the vicar to take you back that is very kind of you carrie replied hilliston in his most genial manner i am glad to accept your offer and escape the walk you'll drive and i'll sit beside you carrie did as he was told and in a few minutes the trap containing the pair was rattling through the street at a good pace shortly they left the village behind and emerged into the open country the road wound to right and left past farmhouses under bending trees behind hedgerows and occasionally passed over a stone bridge spanning a trickling brook matted with cresses all this time neither of them had spoken as each was seemingly wrapped up in his own thoughts but as a matter of fact they were thinking of each other carrie wished to speak to hilliston but did not know how to begin while hilliston was in the same predicament regarding carrie it was the latter who finally began the conversation and he did so in a way which would have startled a less brave man than the lawyer at the moment they were crossing a rather broad stream with a swift current and carrie pulled up the pony midway between the parapets of stone which protected the sides of the rude bridge rather astonished at this stoppage for which he could assign no reason hilliston roused himself from his musings and looked inquiringly at carrie the man's eyes significant and angry were fixed on him in anything but a friendly manner do you know what i'm thinking sir he said coolly flicking the pony's back with the whip no carrie replied hilliston with equal coolness is it of anything important it might be to you sir replied carrie dryly 
i was just thinking whether it wouldn't be a good thing to send horse and trap and you and i into the water then there would be an end to your black heart and your black schemes that is very possible carry said hilliston who knew his man but before going to extremities you had better make certain that you are acting for the best without me your master is ruined we'll talk it over sir answered carry and with a smart flick of his whip sent the pony across the bridge when they were over and were trotting between hedgerows he resumed the conversation why have ye come here again sir he asked abruptly we were quit of you five years ago and now you come to harry the master once more i come for his own good carry and now don't be after calling me carry there's no one here and it is dennis benthry i am to you mr francis hilliston the lawyer winced at the satirical emphasis placed on the name but judged it wise to humour the old man carry as he called himself now could be very obstinate and disagreeable when he chose so knowing his powers in this respect hilliston wisely conducted the conversation on as broad lines as was possible nevertheless he carried the war into the enemy's camp by blaming carry for not taking better care of the bundle of papers which through his negligence had fallen into the hands of jenny and how was i to know sir retorted carry querulously the papers were safely put away in the garret and miss jenny had no call to go there well carry you see what it has led to the account of the tragedy is all over london and what of that sir wasn't the account of it all over horriston twenty-five years ago no doubt said hilliston coolly but that is all over and done with it is useless to dwell on the past and its errors but now captain larcher's son is bent on finding out the truth and why shouldn't he sir i don't think you need ask the question carry replied the lawyer in so significant a tone that the old servant turned away his head it is not desirable that claude larcher should be enlightened we know what took place on that night if no one else does and for more reasons than one it is advisable that we should keep our knowledge to ourselves ah said carry gruffly you don't want it known that you were in the garden on that night sir i do not answered hilliston with hasty emphasis i spoke falsely at the trial to save mrs larcher i rather think you did so yourself carry for the master's sake for the master's sake as for the mistress she brought all the trouble on our heads i lied sir as you lied but she wasn't worth it but is there to be trouble over it now mr hilliston no not if you baffle the inquiries of those young men at the manor-house they will meet you and question you and get the truth out of you if they can whether they do or not all depends upon yourself you leave it to me sir said carry confidently i'll manage to send them away without being a bit the wiser and now mr hilliston that this is settled i would speak to you about my sister mona hilliston changed colour but nevertheless retained sufficient composure to fix his eyes on the man's face with a sad smile what of her carry he asked in a melancholy tone you know she is dead and gone ah ah but her grave sir you must tell me where it is for i have it in my mind to go and see it what would be the good of you doing that said hilliston disapprovingly because i was harsh with her sir if she did wrong she suffered for it and it was wicked of me to let her go as i did 
where is her grave sir in chiswick cemetery said hilliston as the chaise stopped at the railway station if you come up to london and call at my office i will tell you where to find it carey was profuse in his thanks and touching his hat gratefully accepted the shilling which hilliston put into his hand but when the train containing hilliston started for eastbourne he threw away the money and shook his fist after the retreating carriages not a word did he say but the frown on his face grew deeper and deeper as he got into the trap again and drove slowly back to thorston evidently he trusted hilliston no more than did tate or jenny it was now quite dark for the daylight and afterglow had long since vanished from the western skies and the moon was not yet up only the stars were visible here and there in the cloudy sky and finding their light insufficient to drive by carey got down and lighted the carriage lamp heaven only knows of what he was thinking as he drove along the dusky lanes the past unrolled itself before his eyes and what he saw there made him groan and heave deep sighs but there was no use in so indulging his memories and thinking of his master carey braced himself up to see what could be done toward meeting the dangers which seemed to threaten on all sides when he delivered the trap again to the groom of the vicar he hit on an idea which he proceeded to carry out instead of going back at once to rose cottage he borrowed a piece of paper and pencil from the groom and laboriously traced a few lines by the light of the stable lantern putting this missive in his pocket he went off in the direction of the manor-house but leaving the public road he skirted the low stone wall which divided it from the adjacent fields carey knew every inch of the ground and even in the darkness had no difficulty in guiding himself to his destination this was a vantage point at the end of the wall whence he could see in a sitting-room of the house in a few minutes carey was perched on this wall busily engaged in tying his letter to an ordinary-sized stone almost immediately below him the mansion stretched in a kind of abrupt right angle in which was set two wide windows overlooking a bed of flowers these were open to the cool night air and the blinds had been drawn down so that carey from his lofty hiding-place could see right into the room a tall brass lamp stood at one end and under this sat claude larcher smoking and thinking the glare of the lamp fell full on his fresh-coloured face and light hair so that carey felt as though he were gazing at a phantom out of that dread past he's as like his father as two peas muttered carey devouring the picture with his eyes a fine boy and an honest gentleman off off to think that i have nursed him on my knee when he was a bit of a lad and now i'm here telling him to go away but it's better that than the other a curse on those who brought him here and put sorrow into his heart thus muttering carey threw the stone lightly through the window it fell heavily on the floor within a few feet of claude who sprang to his feet with an exclamation not waiting to see the result carey hastily tumbled off the wall jumped the ditch and made off in the darkness by a circuitous route he regained rose cottage and entered into the kitchen worn out in body and mind he had done his duty so far as in him lay and mentally prayed that the result might tend to remove the threatened danger meanwhile claude had picked up the stone and ran to the window he could see nothing for carey was already halfway across the fields he could not even guess whence the stone had been thrown all was silent and though he listened intently he could not hear the sound of retreating footsteps with some wonderment he untied the paper from the stone and smoothed it out it was badly written and badly spelled and ran as follows 
beware of danger claude larcher tack a friend's advice and go quick away there was no signature and the young man was looking at it in growing perplexity when tate entered the room what did you shout out about he asked carelessly i heard you in the next room you would have shouted also replied larcher holding out the paper this was flung into the room tied round a stone you don't say so who threw it i can't say i rushed to the window at once but saw no sign of anyone what do you think of the hint therein contained tate read the anonymous communication pondered over it and finally delivered his opinion by uttering a name hilliston he said confidently hilliston nonsense said claude sharply why should he deal in underhand ways of this sort if he wanted me to go away he could have called and urged me to do so but this i don't believe hillison would condescend to such trickery when a man is in a fix he will descend to anything to get himself out of it replied tate placing the paper in his pocket-book i'll keep this and perhaps before many days are over i'll have an opportunity of proving to you that i speak truly who else wants you to go away besides hilliston carey dennis bantry might i doubt whether carey knows that you are here you must give matters time to develop themselves as the inmates of rose cottage can't know all about us within twenty-four hours what between your confessions to jenny and hilliston's own knowledge i think they'll know a good deal in one way or another they can know as much as they like said tate quietly but we know more and if it comes to a tug-of-war i think you and i can win against hilliston and company but come outside and let us examine the top of the wall do you think the stone was thrown from there asked claude as they went out into the garden i fancy so from your description light this candle the night was so still that the flame of the candle hardly wavered tate gave it to claude to hold and easily climbed up the wall by thrusting the toes of his boots in among the loose stones he examined the top carefully and then getting the light tied it to a piece of string and lowered it on the other side in a few minutes he came down again with a satisfied look as i thought he said blowing out the candle someone has been on that wall and thrown the stone from there i saw the marks of feet on the other side the man who delivered the letter jumped the ditch and made off across the fields you don't think it is hilliston said claude doubtfully no but i think it is an emissary of hilliston perhaps dennis bantry tate said larcher after a pause from hilliston's visit to Paynton, from the way in which Paynton persistently secludes himself from the world and from the knowledge we possess that the information for linton's book came out of that cottage i have come to a conclusion what is that i believe that ferdinand Paynton is none other than mark jerringham who killed my father twenty eight preparing the ground aware that claude would hear sooner or later of his visit to Paynton, the lawyer wrote to forestall the information skilfully alleging a business engagement as his excuse for the visit i would have called on you he continued but that it was already late when i left my client mr Paynton, and i had to return to eastbourne in time for dinner however i hope to come over again shortly and then you must tell me how you are getting on with your case i am afraid you will learn nothing at thorston he knows better than that said tate to whom the letter was shown 
he is aware that we have cut the ground from under his feet so far as jenny is concerned moreover i am certain that he is the author of that anonymous letter of a few days since do you really think he came here to ask miss Paynton to keep silence asked claude returning the letter to his pocket my dear fellow i am certain of it and he also wishes to show us that he knows Paynton, so as to warn us against asking questions in that quarter indeed i think it is useless to do so said larcher doubtfully you know we called yesterday and were refused admittance oh i spoke to mr linton about that replied tate easily it seems that such is invariably the case as this hermit will see no one why what can be his reason for such persistent seclusion i can't say unless your surmise is correct and he is jerringham i am sure he is said claude emphatically why was the bundle of newspapers containing an account of the murder found in his house what is dennis bandry doing there if Paynton is not jerringham the shoe is on the other foot remarked tate dryly what is dennis bantry doing there if Paynton is jerringham you forget claude that we suspect jerringham as the criminal if this were so or if Paynton were jerringham i hardly think your father's devoted servant would be at his beck and call unless added tate as an afterthought dennis bantry is also implicated as we imagine i can't understand it cried claude catching up his hat in place of growing clear the matter seems to become more involved how do you intend to proceed it seems to me that we are at a dead stop by no means my dear fellow there is carry alias dennis bantry to be examined we must learn the truth from him he won't tell it particularly if our suspicions are correct perhaps not but i have provided against that failure you must appeal to him as the son of his old master while i am absent absent where are you going can't you guess to horriston of course in order to pick up what information i can there are sure to be people still alive who remember your father and mother who recollect the trial and are still acquainted with mr hilliston i expect to learn a good deal about that gentleman there and perhaps something about jerringham and his disappearance huh i doubt if you will be successful replied claude gloomily however there is no harm in trying where are we going now i told you before we set out to call on the vicar as we can't see jenny at her father's house we must meet her in another person's she is like a daughter to mrs linton and is constantly at the vicarage and no doubt young linton loves her i'm sure he does have you any objection demanded tate slyly none none said claude hastily i have only met her for a few minutes you know but she is a remarkably pretty girl and from what you say seems to be clever too good by half for that idiot idiot john parver novelist the lion of the season an idiot you forget he wrote the book of the year so he says responded larcher dryly but for my part i believe jenny Paynton has more to do with it than he i have no doubt she wrote it further conversation was put an end to for the time being by their arrival at the vicarage mr linton a stiff old gentleman with a severe face received them very kindly and unbent so far as in him lay he had been acquainted with tate for many years and it was during a visit to him that the little man had seen and purchased thorston manor 
knowing him to be wealthy and being well disposed toward him for his own sake mr linton was anxious to make the lord of the manor at home in his house vickers cannot afford to neglect opulent parishioners i hope mr tate that you will shortly take up your abode altogether at the manor said he pompously i am not in favour of an absentee landlord oh you'll see a good deal of me mr linton i assure you i am too much in love with the beauties of the place to stay long away moreover i am not a roamer like my friend larcher here it is necessary with me said claude smiling i assure you sir i am not the wandering vagabond tate would make me out to be it is proper to see the world said the vicar with heavy playfulness and when you have made your fortune in far countries mr larcher you may settle down in this favoured spot i could wish for nothing better mr linton but the time is yet far off for that my son is also fond of travelling continued mr linton now that he is making a good income he tells me that it is his intention to go to italy you are proud of your son mr linton said tate genially without doubt without doubt the book he wrote is clever although i do not care for sensational writing myself it pays the taste of the age is in the direction of sensationalism certainly certainly and i suppose it is only natural that francis should write some frivolity he was never a deep scholar what does astonish me added the vicar raising his eyebrows is that a student like mr Paynton should desire to read the book tate and claude glanced at one another with the same thought in their minds respecting this information informed by hilliston of the use made by linton of the larcher affair Paynton was anxious to see in what light the case had been placed this curiosity argued that the recluse had been one of the actors in the tragedy if so he could only be jeringham since captain larcher was dead and they knew both dennis bantry and francis hilliston the vicar worthy man was quite ignorant of the effect produced by this announcement nor was he undeceived by the artful reply of tate naturally mr Paynton wants to read the book said the latter diplomatically if i mistake not he has a great liking for frank indeed yes responded mr linton thankfully he taught francis latin along with jenny he would have made a scholar of him i am indeed sorry that my son failed to profit by his association with so brilliant a student he might have written a better book clearly the vicar was by no means impressed with the sensationalism of a whim of fate and would rather his son had written an honest pamphlet or a grave tragedy than have produced so meretricious a piece of three-volume frivolity however he had no time to talk further on this matter for as he ended his speech the subject of it entered the room with jenny and mrs linton the former started and flushed as she saw claude and remembered his romantic history in their former meeting my wife mr larcher you know mr tate of course my dear miss Paynton, mr larcher and my son i have already had the pleasure of meeting mr frank linton in town said claude holding out his hand the young author took it willingly enough and then the company resolved itself into two groups the vicar and his wife conversing with tate while claude seconded by frank made himself agreeable to jenny 
neither the lady nor the author were pleased with this arrangement as the former felt uneasy when she remembered her father's position while the latter felt jealous of claude's superior good looks frank linton was of course ignorant that he was in the company of the son of the horriston victim he did not even know the names of the people or that of the place and had simply written the story on the meagre information afforded by jenny he could not therefore understand the interest which those two displayed in one another and so grew jealous on seeing it it would be useless to report this conversation which in the main consisted of frivolities warned by her father jenny was on her guard and carefully avoided any allusion to the larger affair on his part not knowing the reticence jenny had practised with regard to linton claude tried to lead the conversation into a grove likely to deal with the novel and case at one point he did this so clumsily that jenny spoke outright on the subject let us talk no more of that mr larcher she said quietly i told mr tate all i knew the other day i have to thank you began claude when she cut him short and turned the conversation into another channel the young man was disappointed in this but nevertheless fell in with her humour and when following tate's example he arose to go he was quite charmed with this country girl i hope you will come soon again said the vicar hospitably as he shook hands we must have a party shortly our friends mr and mrs hilliston have promised to come and stay the night during next week another move and a foolish one thought tate but said aloud we will be charmed mr linton the more so as mr hilliston is my friend's guardian or rather was jenny looked startled at this and her rich colour faded when she said good-bye to claude the mystery of the affair was beginning to worry her and she could by no means understand the relation of hilliston to larcher hilliston who was the guardian and friend hilliston who judging from the veto put on her speaking was inimical to claude untroubled by their conversation claude held but one idea when he left the house with tate i'm afraid i am in love said he looking at his friend what at first sight impossible shakespeare did not think so or he would not have written romeo and juliet yes i believe i am in love jenny is as fresh and fair and pure and sweet as a mountain daisy you had better tell linton so said tate dryly whereat larcher laughed he was too confident in his own powers to be timorous of rivalry with a celebrated individual there is no need to tell him he said lightly the poor man was eaten up with jealousy when i spoke to miss Painton. by the way did you see that she changed colour when you mentioned that hilliston had been my guardian it was natural that she should hilliston is a suspicious person in her eyes and this discovery will perplex her still more regarding his relations with you jenny is a very clever young woman but i wonder if she is clever enough to put this and that together to arrive at what conclusion at the most logical conclusion that her father is jerringham whom she suspects of the crime End of chapters twenty seven and twenty eight